Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We, Lord, we don't have to tell you that we live in very, very difficult and scary times. Um, uh, what's going on with the North Koreans and Russia and, and in the Middle East and uh, all of these areas where your word prophesies about, Lord, you, we can see that, that time must be really short. At any time, these things could could uh, explode into some kind of major war, Lord, and probably that war will be the last war. Uh, but Lord, your word gives us so much hope for as believers, no matter what happens to us in this life, whether we're raptured out of here uh, before these events take place, or Lord, whether you we die and go on to be with you, Lord, we have so much hope. And, and that's the message that Paul gives us today in this passage in First Thessalonians, Lord, and I just ask that you just uh, bless me in a way that I can articulate that message in a way that everyone here will be interested in it and understand it and find great hope in what you're going to give us today in this text. So, Lord, I just thank you for, for uh, your word, and I just, again, ask that you take this difficult passage and this passage with this great message and you... Uh, bring it home to all our hearts today. We just ask that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, you guys have been itching to get into some prophecy, and uh, I have news for you today. That's where we're heading. Uh, We're going to be looking at one of the main, uh, really it is the next main event on the prophetic calendar and that is the rapture of the church. And if you don't believe in the rapture, uh, you can choose to be wrong. But I'm going to show you today that there is a rapture of, of the church. And we have great hope in that rapture. So you can't take my hope away. So, so and I'm going to show you today, and I think we'll prove without any uh, doubt that that. God intends to rapture his church out of here before the great tribulation begins. But in order to understand uh, today's passage, we've got to go back to the setting of the book. If you remember when we, when we in the introduction, we, we talked about this a little bit. We know from Acts chapter 17 that Paul was in Thessalonica, when this is, when, and this is the church he's writing to here. He was only there for three weeks. Now, you can't do much preaching in three weeks, can you? Yeah, you can if you're the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul would preach all night. Remember one guy fell asleep, and if y'all fall asleep, this might happen to you, and he fell back and and, uh, broke his neck and died, and Paul had to revive him, raise him from the dead. Uh, so, So he preached. When Paul was preaching, he took advantage of every minute he had. And I have no doubt that for three solid weeks, he taught doctrine to the Thessalonians, uh, just every doctrine he could throw at them, every biblical doctrine that, that, remember again, they didn't have a New Testament. They had the Old Testament. But he was trying to give them basically a New Testament in three weeks. And one of the things we know, because of the, the context of the passage we're looking at today, Paul taught the Thessalonians about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In Paul's mind, Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Let me tell you something. In my mind, he could come back 
at any moment. And we're a lot closer apparently to his return than Paul was because Paul preached some 2,000 years ago and he believed wholeheartedly in the rapture and the soon coming of Jesus Christ. Now he didn't know when it was going to happen, but he knew it was the next main event on the prophetic calendar and he looked forward to the rapture. There's some people who think that Paul's belief in the rapture sort of waned as he got older and he days passed and the Lord didn't return and, and uh, he, he got discouraged and, and that he didn't believe in the rapture anymore. Some people actually teach that and they try to pull that out of passages, but they have to take those passages out of context because you go all the way to the book of Titus, which he wrote much later than he did 1 Thessalonians and listen to what he said. He says, I'm looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then when he was in a prison in Rome and he wrote to the Philippians, he said to them, he said to them that he eagerly awaited for the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who at his coming will transform our lowly bodies into uh, conformity to his glorious body. So Paul never lost his hope in the rapture. He never lost hope in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The rapture was always a hope of source, I mean, always a, a source of hope and joy for Paul. And he was, he was always about the business of encouraging others with that hope. But after he left the Thessalonians, uh, remember he was run out of town by the Jews. And he was only there three weeks. And he left. And he didn't have contact with the Thessalonians for several months. And then he sent Timothy and Silas over to check on them. And when they came back, they had some questions. And one of the questions they had was, Paul had taught them about the imminent coming of Jesus Christ and about the rapture. And several believers in Thessalonica had died during that time period. And they were wondering <coughs> what was going to happen to them. I mean, what happened to them? If they died and Christ hadn't come back, where are they at now? Well, I'm so glad they asked that question because Paul answers a bunch of questions when he answers that one question, what happened to these believers? Because he's going to not only answer what happened to them, he's going to tell us what happens to us all and what happens, you know, why we still await for the, for the rapture. And so, beginning in verse number three, Paul answers that question, and in doing so, I think he gives us one of the greatest studies in eschatology in the entire Bible. And I'm, I'm talking about some really deep stuff, some really profound stuff. Having seen my dad in a grave, or put into a grave this past week, I don't know how people live on in life when they see people pass away and there is no hope. But Paul's going to show us there's just so much hope in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And let's pick up down in verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. And listen to what he says. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, let me tell you what. Because Paul uses that term, falling asleep, there are a lot of people, let me tell you what they believe. They believe that when you die, 
You're buried in the grave and you're asleep. And then the fun starts. The worms begin to eat your body and you're in that dark coffin. And, and it's probably going to, I got to imagine that would wake you up when the worms started eating your body. But that's not what Paul means here at all. That's not what he's saying right here at all. A lot of people teach that, that this, this concept of soul sleep, let me tell you right now, the concept of soul sleep is totally unbiblical. You won't find it in the Bible anywhere. You see this translation of falling asleep, and I can understand where that comes from, because when I saw my dad in a coffin this week, it looked like he was sleeping. But from, the, from an earthly standpoint, you might say my dad had fallen asleep, but my dad wasn't in that old tent anymore. He had gone on to be with the Lord. The word fallen asleep literally translated means to be laid down. It means to die. So he's what, Paul, what Paul's saying here, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died. It's simple as that. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope because you've got a hope. You've got a great hope. What does Paul say? You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, you've got to be saved for that to happen. If you're here and you're unsaved, you're going to a different place. But to be, if you're a believer, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 5. He said, he who believes on him who sent me, now listen to this, has passed from death unto life. The moment you believe, you put your faith totally in the cross and in the Lord, you have passed from death to life. You will never die. And that's exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 11. He who believes on me shall never die. Now your body will be laid down, and, 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 and so your body will die, but you won't die. Remember what Jesus said over in Luke chapter 20 when he was describing the Lord. He says, he quoted from Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 3 when Moses had that encounter with the Lord and the Lord asked him who he was. And the, listen to what the Lord said. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now there's a lot of meaning in that. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus went on to say, for the Lord is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. If you're in Christ, if you've been saved, you've passed from death to life, and you shall never die. I mean, that's why when Jesus, over in John chapter 8, spoke of Abraham, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. How did he see Jesus coming to this earth? Because he was alive. We know that he was alive down in paradise because in the story of Lazarus and the rich man, he's down in paradise. Now think about that story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man went to Hades. He went to a place like hell and, and he had a body. We know he had a body because remember what he said? He said, I wish that somebody would just take a drop of water and touch my tongue with that drop of water. So he had a tongue. And where was Lazarus? Lazarus was laying in the bosom of Abraham. Now, to lay in the bosom of Abraham, Abraham must have a body, and Lazarus must have had a body when they were down in paradise. 
Jesus told the thief on the cross, he didn't say, today you will sleep with me in the grave. What did he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. And we know that Jesus went to paradise. And so, uh, as believers, and, and as far as the Bible goes, there's no such thing as soul sleep. So when a believer dies, he lays down this earthly tent, and his soul doesn't sleep, he goes on to be with the Lord in glory. <coughs> and so Paul tells these believers, looking back at this verse, hey, don't be ignorant about what happens to a believer when he dies, lest you are as those who have no hope. You know what? I can go to a funeral. I, I, and, you know, I guess the timing of this is pertinent to this text, but, but I can go to a funeral and I can tell those who have a hope and those who don't have a hope. I can tell those who are just stunned and they see death and they just see, they have, you can see that they lack any hope in their heart. And then you see those people who, who, who see a loved one who has passed on and they're, they're almost joyous about it. You know, I was happy for my dad. My dad was 95 living in an old frail body and now he's in a glorified body living with the Lord. Hey, I can't imagine what he sees today. I can't even imagine. His favorite song was I Can Only Imagine. He doesn't have to imagine anymore. I mean, he's there. He's there in glory. And, and, and I have great hope in that. Not some wish, I wish one day that I might be in heaven. I know one day that I'll be in heaven. And I know that when I die, I'll be in heaven. And I know that when one of my loved ones dies, who's born again, I'll be in heaven. When I do your funeral... How I do your funeral will depend on where I think you're at. <laughs> if I think you've gone on to be with the Lord, then we're going to have a good time. If, I, if, if I'm kind of dry and, and uh, uh, weeping for you, then it's probably not good. I know most of you are going to be there, if not all of you, but, but, but it does. There is Diane now. I'm joking. I had to pick on dying. All right, so he goes on in verse number 14. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. How many of you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Amen. Even so, God will bring him, bring with him those who have died in Jesus, those who sleep in Jesus. They're not asleep in the grave. Their soul's not asleep. They're alive with Jesus. He's, he, he, he's going to bring them with him. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And just a few books back towards Matthew. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And look down at verse number 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. We, we all believe that. We raised our hand. And has become the first fruits, the trailblazer for us. What happened to him is going to happen to us. And, and you see the problem. He says the first fr fruit of those who have fallen asleep. And if you notice in the italics, it says died, those who have died. You can see how this concept of soul sleep can get you into trouble because we know that Jesus, did, his soul did not sleep when he was in the grave. 
We're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, that Christ never slept. He went down into paradise and preached the gospel to, to, the, cap, to the captives in paradise. He set them free. We know that's what he was doing down there. And then he rose from the dead. And what happened to him is going to happen to us. So, so if he's the first fruits, we, we, do what, we, we follow in his footsteps and we don't sleep either. And when we die, we're with Christ. And when, when he comes back to this earth, we're going to be with him in glorified bodies. All right, now go back to 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4 and read with me in verse 15 and 16. He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain to the coming of to the, until the coming of the Lord. Now, who's he speaking of here? Who will be alive and remain until the coming of the Lord? Those who will be raptured. Okay, if you're, if you're alive when the trumpet sounds and the Lord returns for his church, you hit the jackpot. You did really well. You don't have to wait for your body to die. Let me tell you something. You're going to see here in a minute. He could come at any moment in the twinkling of an eye before I finish this sermon. He's probably going to let me finish this sermon because he wants to hear the rest of this. <laughs> but he could come at any second. Any second. He could come for his church. I mean, all of this is great news. If you look at it, it's really great news. For this we say to you that by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, those of us who will be raptured, will by no mean, means precede those who are asleep. You see how he's answering that question? What happened to those believers that have died? We're not going to precede them. We're going to follow them. They've already gone on to be with the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Listen, might, listen. Might happen at any second. The Lord will himself will descend. Let me tell you, you won't have to listen. You're going to hear it. You will hear it. And the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. It's, let me tell you when it's going to happen. You want a day and an hour? I can't give you. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to happen at the Feast of Trumpets. That's the next feast to be fulfilled. It's going to happen. At the, that's Rosh Hashanah. That's, that's the, the new year of the Jews. So come around September, you need to tune your ears up really good. The way things are going in this world right now, the Lord could come at any second. And when he does, you're going to hear this, his voice. It's going to be like a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will, really, I would say, will have already been risen. Those who have already died will be with the Lord. Now, some interpret verses 15 and 16 to mean that at the rapture, those whose souls are asleep in the graves, wherever the graves are, They'll be woken up, and they'll rise up first, and then he'll, he'll take the rest of the church up to be with the Lord. And, and, and it does seem to indicate here that these events are simultaneous. But let me explain to you something. I, I can't explain it to you. But let me put a thought into your head to ponder. When you leave this earth, it's on earth that we have time. When you leave this earth, there is no time. And so it could be 
and I don't know, Paul was in some deep theological, mystical treatise here he was trying to put up, but it very well could be that we all arrive at, in heaven at a particular point, the same point in time, the exact same point in time. On, from an earthly standpoint, my dad's already there. But from a heavenly point, in eternity where there is no time, we'll, we'll be there together maybe at the same time. I don't know. That's something to ponder. That's, that's definitely something to ponder. But, but again, I don't think Paul was giving out some deep mystical interpretation right here. He's, if you're looking at this verse here, he's speaking to the Thessalonians who think their friends have missed out on the resurrection. And he's saying to, because the rapture hadn't taken place. And so what he's telling him, your friends are okay. Don't worry about your friends. They've already gone on to be with the Lord. They have preceded you in the resurrection. Now, maybe in heaven it's the same time, but from an earthly standpoint, they have preceded you. And then those of us who remain will be raptured. Now, what do we rap when we die? Where, where do we go? Are we spirits that kind of hang around up in heaven until we get our bodies? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Go back. We were there, 1 Corinthians there a while ago. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <coughs> Whenever you study the Bible, you have to take the Bible in its entire context. You can't take one verse out of 1 Thessalonians and build a doctrine out of it like soul sleep. You just can't do that. You've got to look at what Paul and others have to say about death elsewhere, and you have to tie it all together to make any sense of it. And that's why I'm taking you here to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look. Look at verse number one. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, what's the tent he's talking of? He's not talking about of a pup tent you got at home. What's he talking about? Or your home that you live in. He's talking about your body. If it's destroyed, now what's it mean if it's destroyed? If, it's, if you get killed in a car wreck, if it just fades away and you die. It's going to be destroyed. It's not going to live on. You're not going to have that same body anymore. Thank the Lord we don't have the same bodies anymore. Now, you younger people think, wow, I, don't want, I want what I got. You get my age, you're looking forward to what you're going to get. He's, hey, we get a lot of amens in here on that. For we know that if our <coughs> earthly house, our earthly tabernacle, this tent, is destroyed. Watch this. We will one day get a new body. What does it say? We have. The tense is critical there. We have a building from God. Jesus told his disciples, I, I must go so I can prepare a place for you. He's not talking about some nice home on, on, go, on the golden streets of glory. You might get that. But he's talking about your heavenly body. God's got a new body. You're going to be better looking than you've ever been in your life. That's going to be hard for me. But, <laughs> but you're going to be better looking than you've ever been in your life. 
That was not a joke. For we know that if our earthly house's tent is destroyed, we have. Isn't that exciting news? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. It's made by God, by his voice, eternal in the heavens. For this we groan earnestly. And as I said earlier, the older you get, the more you groan and desire that perfectly healthy body. That glorified body, for this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is a heavenly body, which is from heaven. Oh, man, if you could see your friends in glory right now. You remember, you realize we're in the 20th century A.D., 2,000 years past when Paul wrote these words. We're so close to the rapture. Do you know where most of the church is right now? It's not here in Lafayette at Calvary Chapel. Let me tell you where most of it is right now. It is in heaven. They are in heaven. They're already there. For in this we groan earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we, watch this, we shall not be found naked without a body. You will not be found without a body because you have a body already waiting for you when you pass on to glory. Now, I believe it's made of the DNA of this body, the DNA of the body that goes down into the grave. I believe that. And I don't know the timing versus heaven versus earth. You don't know because time doesn't exist in heaven. So you can play all sorts of games here in your mind. But you have a body. From, your stand, from the earthly standpoint, when you die, we're going to put you in a grave somewhere if, you, if the rapture doesn't come first. And, and it's going to seem to people on this earth that you've gone to sleep in that grave, but you've passed on to be with the Lord. <coughs> or you've passed on down to Hades. You're down there with the devil and his people. Not the devil, he's not down there yet. But you're with his people. Let me tell you, to be absent from the bodies, to be present somewhere. You got a choice. You can be present with the Lord or you can be present with this evil world, this, all the people in this evil world. And the only hope that we have is through Jesus Christ. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. What tent is he talking about? The present bodies that we live in. Being burdened not because we want to be unclothed. We want to have a body. I mean, I don't want to give up my body. I don't want to die but I'll sure be glad when I pass on the glory. I'll sure be glad if I hear that trumpet blow and I'm raptured, for, but because I will be further clothed, watch this, that mortality may be swallowed up by eternal life, by life. A body of life, not a body of death. You know, Howard Hendricks nailed it on the head. He said, listen, we are not in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dead. We are in the land of the dead on the way to the land of the living. We have great hope. We have the hope of life. We have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so, going back, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians.
Now, why do I believe in the rapture? Why did Paul teach the rapture? Why is there a rapture? Because, let me tell you what's about to happen. You can see all the pieces falling into place. You look at what's happening in North Korea. You look at what's happening with Russia. You look at what's happening in the Middle East. And this thing could blow up at any second. And when it blows up this time, I'm afraid that's the end. But what all of that's going to be, it's going to be the wrath of God that's poured out on this earth. And that's why there will be a rapture. He won't rapture you and I because we're better than the people that preceded us. He will rapture us to get us out of here before he pours out his wrath on this lost and dying, God-hating world. That's why he's going to get us out of here. Look at chapter 5. Go to, we'll jump ahead to verse number 9 of chapter 5. Here's why you're not going to be here. For God did not appoint us to wrath. The great tribulation is the wrath of God. And if you're a child of God, you have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, through, to grace, to love. You're a child of God. God's not going to leave his children here to suffer the wrath of, man, of, of a godless mankind. He's not going to leave us here for that. Now, we live in a fallen world, and we suffer because of that. But, but right now, the wrath of God is not being poured out on this world. We live in a time of grace and really a time of mercy. I mean, you look around at the United States, and it's really hard to, to, to think, well, things can get really bad. I tell you what, watch the news. They could get really bad really quick in a way that they affect you in a terrible way. But when that falling of mankind turns into the wrath of God, and at some point it will in the great tribulation, you will be out of here because you have not been appointed to wrath. And when's it going to happen? When's God going to rapture you out of here or rapture me out of here? Before the great tribulation begins. That's when we're going to be out of here. We know that. When the time of the Gentiles is over and God begins to do his work with Israel. Now look at the time clock and look at what's going on in Israel right now. Man, all of it's being set up to force Israel. Now we've got a little bit of reprieve maybe with the, the politicians that are in place right now, but as soon as they're gone, it's all set up to put this pressure on Israel to sign this peace agreement and sign this peace agreement. They will and in the middle of that peace agreement, the Antichrist will commit the abomination of desolations and all hell, excuse my French, is going to break out on this earth. Literally, all hell is going to break out on this earth. But you won't be here. You won't be here. Look at verse number 17. Then we who are alive, watch this, and remain shall be caught up, snatched away, Together, I'll see you on the way up. Together, we're going to go up. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together 
with them. Who's them? With Christ and those who have already been resurrected in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then the, we shall be with the Lord always. What's always mean in the Greek? Always. From then on, you'll be with the Lord. From then on, you'll be in his presence. You know, I wish God would give you just a short, quick vision of what you're going to look like in glory. I, I wish I could see my dad today in glory. I mean, you're going to be so filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to glow like some supernatural light bulb, something like you've never seen before. You remember when Adam and Eve lost their glory? All of a sudden they realized that then that they were naked. They were always naked. But they didn't realize they were naked because they were glowing with this glory of God. And then they sinned against God and they lost that glory. Well, that glory is going to be returned back to us in glory. The moment we're caught up in the air to be with the Lord, we're going to be in glorified bodies. You're not going to go up there looking like you are now. You're going to go up there looking good. Really good. Now, there are a lot of people, especially on the internet, those goofballs on the internet, those, I almost want to call them idiots, but I can't go that far. Well, there's a lot of people out there, I don't know where they get on these bins, man. They, they don't read their Bibles. They get pieces. And they don't believe in the rapture. And then they hear, they go, you know where they go to get their proof? To the stupid internet. Don't get your theology from the internet. You'll get bad theology from the internet. But if you go to the internet and you look at those people who don't believe in the rapture, this is what they'll tell you. The word rapture does not appear in the Bible. The word rapture appears nowhere in the Bible. The early church fathers did not believe in the rapture. In, eight, in the 1800s, a man named Jim Darby, you heard this before? man named Jim Darby created the concept of the rapture. Now, Jim Darby certainly made a big case of the rapture, and he certainly did try to prove the rapture from Scripture and from elsewhere. So, you know, Jim Darby might be one of the people in the church history that believed in the rapture, but let me tell you, a lot of them did. A lot of them did. Don't tell me that the word rapture does not appear in the Bible, the word rapture, look at, look at your text right here. Now you can call it, you got to watch out for semantics too, okay? My text right there says, and I, I'm going to try to look at this as plainly as possible. Then we who are alive, those of us that remain, that haven't died and gone on to be with the Lord. Can you interpret that any other way? When the Lord comes, when the Lord comes, then we who are alive and remain, we haven't been, we haven't died yet. We're remaining on this earth when the Lord comes, shall be caught up. That's the rapture. Snatched away. It's the Greek word harpazo, which we, the Latin word for harpazo is rapturo. 
from which we get our English word rapture. No, the word rapture in the Bible's not in Latin unless you're Catholic. But the Bible, the Bible is in Greek. So if you don't want to believe in the raptura, then you definitely got to believe in the harpazo. So if you want to call it harpazo, call it harpazo, but don't tell me you're not going to be caught up or snatched up because that's what the Bible says. And it doesn't just say it there. It says it over and over in all sorts of types in the Bible. Lot. What happened to Lot? Before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, righteous Lot. Now some guy was really righteous, wasn't he? If he can make it, you can make it. Righteous Lot got snatched up before the wrath of God came down on Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a picture of the rapture. And so the rapture's all through the Bible, whatever you want to call it. You can say the word doesn't appear in the Bible, but harpazo does and being snatched up does, and, and those who remain will be snatched up. The Bible's clear that we'll be caught up together to meet with the Lord in the air at some point just before the great tribulation. Now, how do I know it's before the great tribulation? Well, I gave you one point a while ago. We know it's before the great tribulation because we have not been appointed to wrath. Well, let me tell you another reason. The rapture throughout the Bible, when, when, when John and Paul and Peter and all of those writers of the New Testament spoke of the coming Lord, of the Lord, when did they think it could happen? The Lord is at the door. The Lord could come at any moment. We are looking for our blessed hope, the coming of the Lord. We know that that's the next main event on the prophetic calendar. We know that. And it was the next main event in Paul's day. It's the next main event now. We're living in the church age. We're living in this age of grace. But when that age ends and the last Gentile that's saved is going to get saved, then the, then, then, then the time clock's going to turn to Israel and the church is going to be raptured out of here. And it could happen at any moment. The great tribulation cannot happen at any moment. The great tribulation is, cannot happen until certain things take place. First of all, Paul's going to tell us in 2 Thessalonians, what has to happen before the great tribulation can take place? He tells these Thessalonian believers this. The man of sin must be revealed. Now, if you know who the Antichrist is, you're in deep trouble. If you're here and I'm gone and you wonder, what happened to George? And a few others. Maybe you're the only one left. And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, the Antichrist, he's been revealed. You're in trouble. You're going to be here. You're going to be here. But before the Great Tribulation has, can happen, the man of the, the man of sin, the Antichrist, must be revealed. And he has to make this priest treaty with Israel. And then in the middle of that priest treaty, he has to commit the abomination of desolation. And then the great tribulation takes place at that point. Now really, if all seven years are considered the, great, the day of the Lord and the great tribulation. But, but uh, the bad part of it is those last three and a half years. But you won't be here. How long's the wedding supper of the Lamb? Any coincidence? Seven years? Wonder why. Because that's the time of the great tribulation where you're in heaven with the Lord. And, and the rapture is imminent. That's not true for the great tribulation. Nothing has to happen. 
Nothing else prophetically has to happen for God to rapture us out of here. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it happened today? It'd be wonderful for us. But it might not be wonderful for one of our neighbors or one of our friends that don't know the Lord, that we need to get to the Lord. And so God's going to leave us here until that event takes place. But when it happens, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. Well, if the rapture was, was such a big deal in the Bible, and I believe it is. It's all over the Bible. If you've been here long enough, you've seen us talk about the rapture in a lot of other places other than just 1 Thessalonians. If it was such a big deal, why didn't the church fathers ever talk about the rapture? Well, if those bozos on the internet would read some of the church fathers, they'd find out that they did. They talked a lot about the rapture. You ever heard of a guy named Irenaeus? Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. You know who Polycarp was? He was good buddies with the Apostle John. They hung out together. They were good buddies. And Irenaeus, heresies began popping up from the very beginning. He wrote a thing called Against Heresies. If you ever go to seminary, it would be one of the things you might have to read. But in, I'll give you a direct uh, reference here. In chapter 5, verse 29 of Against Heresies, I want you to listen to what he has to say. Those nations who did not of themselves raise up their eyes unto heaven, nor return thanks to their maker, but who were like blind mice concealed in the depths of ignorance, will be judged. But before that, the church will suddenly be caught up in the air and there shall be, then there shall be tribulation such as the world has not seen from the beginning. Man, that, you can't get any more pre-trib rapture than that. And that's a guy who's, who's one generation removed from Christ. And that's what he wrote. Cyprian, writing in the third century in his treatises, his book, The Treatises of Cyprian. He encouraged believers of his day with this word. Listen to what he says. By an early departure, you will be snatched up and taken away and delivered from the shipwrecks and disasters that will then be imminent in this world. The Great Tribulation. Ephraim the Syrian, writing in the 4th century A.D., said this. He said, there have already been plagues and violent movement of nations and signs which were predicted by the Lord. But these are not the great tribulation yet to come. For before the great tribulation yet to come happens, the saints and the elect of God will be gathered together by the Lord to be with him forever. Sounds pretty much like pre-trib rapture stuff to me way long time before John Darby ever even thought about the rapture. I could go on and on quoting those things. And there are certainly some some church fathers who didn't believe in the rapture, probably more who didn't than did, but these are some of the most reputable. And there's certainly, it wasn't something invented. They had to come up with it somewhere. I believe they got it from the Word of God. But you know what? If ever I'm looking for authority on a subject, you know where I like to go? 
I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say about it. I mean, I trust Paul with all my heart. I know Jesus Christ spoke through Paul. I know he anointed Paul and spoke through Paul. But what did Jesus have to say about the rapture? Go with me over to Matthew chapter 24. Let me tell you what he's going to do, beginning in verse number 37, where we're going to pick up. He's going to begin talking about the rapture by giving a type of the rapture. And people grab this passage and they take it out of context and they do damage to it. They try to say, well, you know, we're like today, things are like they were in the day of Noah. It's really wicked and so the Lord's coming at any moment. That's not the message of this passage. That things are as wicked as they were in the day of Noah, and the Lord is coming at any moment. But don't use this passage to prove that. Listen to what he says. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, in context, we know that what he's speaking of here is the rapture. And I'm going to show you why. Look at verse 38. For as in the days before the flood, life went on as usual, even for Noah and his family. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now let me ask you a question. Did Noah one day decide, well, we've got the ark built, I'm going to enter the ark? <coughs> Noah wasn't about to enter that ark. That thing stunk had, had all that cattle in it, all that kind of stuff. He didn't want to live on that ark any sooner than he had to. So he, he, he didn't enter the ark until when? Until God called him and said, come up hither, Noah. Kind of a picture of what? The rapture. Before, he, when did he come? After the rains begin or before the rains begin? Before the rains begin. So that Noah and the ark or a picture of our ark, Jesus Christ, who calls up before the wrath of God comes down on this earth. You can't get a clearer picture than that. So he says, he says in verse 38, For as in the day is, days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, and ordinary life went on until the day Noah entered the ark. That's the catching up of Noah. When God said, come into the ark, and then they went into the ark, and who, what happened? God shut the door and nobody else could go in. There's going to come a point when God is going to say, come up hither. And the ark is going to be shut. And if you're not in Christ, you're going to be stuck here. I'm going to be out of here. One way or the other, I'm going to be out of here. I'll either die before the rapture or I'll get raptured out of here. Either way is good for me. But when that rapture call is made, it is too, after that it's too late. And read all of the parables Jesus gives about the wedding supper of the Lamb. And it's too late. It's too late once he calls us up. Then in verse number 39 he says, And 
and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be this rapture of the church, this escape by God's people, and then this flood of judgment will come upon the earth. And now look at the description Jesus gives. He leaves the metaphor now, and he goes to a clear description of the rapture in verse number 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming for you. Get ready. It's imminent. It's the next main event on the prophetic calendar. You need to be ready. But know this. That if the master of the house had known what hour a thief would come. Now Jesus uses a parable of contrast here. He's not a thief. But he, he uses a parable about a thief to describe how we should be ready for the coming of Jesus. He says, but know this, that the master of the house, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would not, he would have watched, he would have got his gluck out, loaded it up. And he would have not allowed his house to be broken into. Glock, for you people who don't know what glucks are. Roy knows what a gluck is. But anyway, you're not, if you know a thief's coming to your house tonight, you're not going to leave your doors unlocked, are you? You're probably going to call the police. You're going to get ready for it. You're going to load up your gun. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to be ready for that thief to come. And Jesus said, if you knew that, look, if we all knew that in 15 minutes, he's going to let me finish this sermon, I know that now. If we all knew in 15 minutes that the Lord was coming, man, I'd be down on my face, Lord, save me, spare me, count me worthy by your blood. I mean, I would be prepared. We should always be prepared. We should always be living in the light of God, doing God's work. So when the Lord comes, we're not ashamed at his coming. Verse 44, therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The rapture can take place at any moment. You don't know when it's going to happen. The Great Tribulation, when certain events take place, you know you're in the Great Tribulation. That's not true with the rapture. It could come at any moment. You know, when it comes, I don't think there's going to be a really mass exodus from this earth. I mean, those goofy movies they made about the rapture, those things aren't going to happen. What do you have to, in order to meet the Lord in the air, what do you have to be? You have, not a churchgoer, not a good person, you might be a good person, but those aren't the things that are going to qualify you for the rapture. Jesus put it like this, unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. To be raptured out of here, you must be born again. If you're born again, you know it. If you think, well, I wonder if I'm born again, you better get born again because you, you know it. 
How do you know it? Because you have the Spirit of God who comes and lives in you. You can't have the Spirit of God living in you and not know it. He changes you. He changes the way you treat others. He changes the way you feel about this word. He changes the way you feel about him. And so you know it. I shared this when I did my dad's funeral Thursday. Shortly before my dad died, he asked me if I would do his funeral. And I said, certainly I would, Dad. He said, you think you can do it? Can you handle it emotionally? I got to tell you, it was a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. But I said, I, I can handle it emotionally, Dad. Because I know that when you die, I'm going to have great joy mixed with sorrow. Sorrow because you won't be there anymore, as I shared last week. But joy because I know where you are. And I know that one day I'll see you again. My dad pulled me aside as I was leaving the last time. Last time I saw him. And he said, George, I won't see you again face to face on this earth. But I'll see you in the morning. I'll see you in the morning. The reason I could preach my dad's funeral the reason I had joy at a funeral, because I know where my dad's at. And I know that I'll see him in the morning. He's talking about glory. You guys got a really good deal if you know the Lord. You're either going to die and be given a glorious new body and go to be with the Lord in heaven, or you're going to be raptured out of here. Either way, we have great hope we have. Read the last verse. I shut my Bible too soon. Verse 18. Therefore, I think it says, comfort one another with these words. That's what you want to do. Don't walk around all sullen and, and pouting and worried about the troubles of this world. One day, these troubles are going to be over. And you're going to be with the Lord in glory. In glory. Forever. Always with the Lord. Let's thank you. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the great hope we have in Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross, shed his blood for us so we could be perfected by that blood. By one offering, Lord, you've perfected us forever. You've given us the position that allows us to know that we can live with you forever. <coughs> Lord, we just thank you so much. For your goodness, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for the hope we have, even in death. For the hope we have in, in eternity and for the hope we have in the rapture. Lord, it's nothing but good news. Nothing but a grand future. No matter how much this world implodes, Lord, we know that, that good things are on the horizon for us. And it's all possible through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.